2. And I'm excited to dive into this passage together this morning. If you want to look with me at Galatians chapter number 2, we're going to read these first few verses, and then we're going to dive into uh, the Word of God together this morning. It's Galatians chapter number 2, look at verse number 11. The Bible says this, When Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, Paul says, because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself. Why? Fearing them which were of the circumcision, and the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. This morning, we're going to look at this passage. We're going to look at these first few verses, and really, we'll be focusing on this passage over these next two weeks. As we're going to look at the opposite side, we'll look at Paul's response. But today, we're going to look at Peter. And why, just why, did Peter, this pillar of the faith, why did he cower away from standing for God? Let's pray and ask for the Lord to help us, and then we're going to dive into that this morning. Father, thank you for the time that you've given us to be able to open your word. Thank you, God, what you've already done this morning. God, I know in the, the, the men's session, Lord, just being able to think about this, this matter of trusting you and having faith in you, God, it, it challenged me. And I pray, God, that it's been a challenge to, to the men of our church as well. And now, Lord, as we open your word into Galatians, and God, as we're challenged once again from the Scriptures, I pray, Lord, that each person here would hear from you this morning. God, that, that you would speak to them in a way that only you can, that your Holy Spirit would move in our midst. And um, Lord, just, just point out those areas of our life that, that need to be dealt with. God, as we, as we look at a very important topic this morning, a very important subject, I pray that our hearts would be convicted. And Lord, you know I've already been challenged by this as I've studied it. But I pray, God, even now that you minister to my heart as you minister to others. Help me, Lord, to say only those things that you want me to say. We'll give you the glory for it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here as we dive into Galatians chapter number 2 in these verses here, we, we don't know the exact timing that, that these events took place. Some said that they believed that it took place before the events that took place uh, immediately preceding uh, happened. We know uh, that... Uh, it, Prior to this, Paul was uh, dealing with an event that took place in Acts chapter number 15, where he and Barnabas made their way to Jerusalem because there were some believers from Jerusalem that came down to Antioch and began to teach uh, that, that salvation, uh, that there was works that were added. And so they, they went up to Jerusalem, remember, and, and uh, you'll, you'll be reminded with me that, that at this time, Paul was still a fairly new name. He wasn't somebody that, that we recognize today as a very popular person. In fact, uh, Galatians was most likely the first book that, that Paul recorded. And so up to this point, Paul hasn't even written a book of the Bible. And, and nobody really knew who Paul was whenever the events of Acts chapter number 15 took place. He was, he was relatively unknown, and so they they made their way to Jerusalem to talk to the pillars, the Bible tells us. The, the ones that were the big dogs. Peter, James, and John, right? These were the guys that walked with Jesus. The ones that had a close relationship with Christ. That, that walked with Him in the flesh. And so they went back there and they were asking these pillars, alright guys, what's the truth? What, what's being preached? What message is the truth? It wasn't that Paul doubted his message. It was that, listen, he needed the authority of the pillars behind his message. He said, guys, is the gospel by faith and by grace alone or is there works added to it? And they said, Paul, buddy, we're on the same team. It's by grace through faith. They said, hey, that's what it is. They offered the right hand of fellowship. And so Paul, as he walked away from 
have the authority as he preached, not just to be able to say, hey, this is my message, but listen, this is the message from Jesus Christ himself, that you are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then we come to this next passage. These next verses. And Paul shares that, that I believe immediately maybe after some of these, that event took place, there was something troublesome that t- Paul and Barnabas go back down to Antioch. They're ministering there. They're serving the Lord there. They're seeing people saved. They're training these young believers to follow Christ. And as they're doing that, the Bible says that Peter comes down to Antioch. And he joins in with them. Oh, what sweet time that must have been. I mean, here, I mean, the very pillar that they went and talked to came down. I mean, it didn't get much bigger than Peter. I mean, he was the, the big dog, you know. I mean, he was one that preached at Pentecost. And here Peter comes down, and, and now as they're, as, they're, as, as they're preaching, they got Peter there with them. And they're fellowshipping with one another and just enjoying this time with Peter with them. And, and man, it was, it, was, it was an incredible thing. But then all of a sudden, an unexpected turn takes place. We find that there's a group that comes down from Jerusalem. The Bible tells us here that there were, it says this, this certain came down, all right? That these certain people that, that, that were from James, they, they, they proclaimed to be followers of, of the church at, at Jerusalem, followers of James. They come down to Antioch. And, and these, these people that came down, they, uh, they were Jewish, they were very religious. They were very polished. They looked real good. But here's the problem. They weren't preaching the right gospel. Once again, we're dealing with this issue. We're dealing with this subject. And here at this moment, when Peter should have stood up, Peter should have boldly taken a stand for the faith. Peter cowers. The Bible tells us that they're, they're gathering around and, and here they are, they're, they're eating their food and, and enjoying fellowship. And Peter normally would have joined them. But all of a sudden they, they ring up Peter and, hey Peter, we're getting together, where are you out buddy? And Peter says, ah, I'm, I don't think I'm going to make it to this one. All of a sudden he wasn't responding to Paul's texts. And, and uh, you know, it's just like all of a sudden he dropped off the deep end. Where did he go? What happened here? The Jewish leaders arrived. And with their adherence to the Jewish law that, that they held to, saying, hey, listen, you have to do these things for salvation. And Peter, in a moment, this pillar of the faith, this final authority surrounding the gospel that we previously saw, rather than standing against these false teachers, Peter faded into the shadows. Verse number 12 tells us, before the certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. I mean, before this, I mean, Peter was a part of the party. I mean, he was the life of the, the, the group. I mean, he was the one. I mean, you know, Peter, he's always sticking his foot in his mouth. So he was, I mean, he couldn't keep his mouth closed. He was, he was the life there. And, and, and all of a sudden, he was nowhere to be seen. The man who walked with Christ, walked on water, preached up in was viewed as a pillar of the gospel, no longer took a stand. But why? Well, the verse 
wants us. Very end there at verse number 12. Fearing them which were of the circumcision. We don't know if these were wealthy Jewish leaders. We don't know if there was a prior connection from the past with Peter. We don't know if it was just because there was a large group of them, but for whatever reason, we do know that Peter feared them. Now, it could be that he was fearing with, uh, about what could happen to him physically. Maybe he was afraid of, of the, the physical persecution that could come upon him because he took a stand against the Jewish teachings, the Jewish laws, and, and, and took a stand that it was by grace alone. I mean, after all, I mean, just so many years prior to that, he, he had watched Jesus be crucified. So maybe there was a fear physically, but I think more than likely, more than, than the fear of a physical assault, I think it was more that he was afraid what they would think. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 29, verse 25, the fear of man bringeth a snare. Bringeth a snare. You know, the desire for acceptance is a very real thing. When, when you're growing up in school, everyone wants to be accepted. Everybody wants to find their group and be a part of it. And so what do you do? You wear different clothes or, or you wear a hair a, a, a different way, right? If, you, if you're sitting here and you're forgetting this, just go back and look at some of your pictures from whenever you were, were you know, that age. And, you know, grade school age or whatnot, you know, as a teenager. And uh, I can remember as a, as, as a kid looking at, at uh, photo albums of my parents whenever they were teenagers and looking at them pointing and laughing. Dad, what were you wearing? Mom, look at your hair. I mean, what, what in the world? You know, what was going on there? And, and, and why did they do that? Well, it's because everybody else was doing it, right? That was, that was why, right? And you could go back and you could find your checkered pants, or you could go back and you could find your big hair. You know, you could go back and, and you could find these things that, well, actually are coming back into style again, right? And, and uh, why? Why? Because you wanted acceptance, you, you feared rejection. Why? Because the fear of man bringeth a snare. Don't you wish that you could always be a super Christian? I do. <laughs> Don't you wish that you always responded to situations the right way, that you always gave the right answers in the right way, that you never struggled with pride, with unforgiveness, with fear? But Peter reminds us that no matter who you are or how bold you think you are, how polished you may seem, you're still a candidate to fall to the temptations you face. 1 Corinthians 10.12 tells us, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. You've probably heard the saying before, even the best of men are but men at best. Reality is, we all fight battles of acceptance at some level. We don't want to be rejected. We want people to like us. We want to, to have friends. If you're an introvert, you don't need a lot of them, but you want some. And sometimes that acceptance comes at the expense of what we know we ought to be as a Christian. And that's what Peter found out. Did Peter know what was right? Absolutely. But just because he knew what was right doesn't mean he always did it. And sometimes in the Christian life, you will have the boldness of Peter at Pentecost. But oftentimes, 
In the Christian life, it's easy to find yourself in the fear of Peter at Antioch. What Peter didn't realize was the impact his decisions would have. And friend, you and I don't realize the impact our decisions could have as well. We see, first of all, the impact on others. The impact on others. Verse number 13 is here in Galatians chapter number 2. And the, the other Jews dissembled likewise with him when they saw this, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. Simulation. When I was in third grade, I was in a play with the rest of my class. I think I've talked about this before. It was around Christmas time, and our, our class was doing the play A Christmas Carol. Now, I was assigned a role in that play as Marley, all right? You, maybe you remember who that one is, okay? That's the, uh, the, the old friend of Ebenezer Scrooge that comes back to try to uh, help him to understand his, his evil ways, the wrong ways. And I remember uh, as, as they got me ready, the, I, I, I think I wore all brown clothes or something, and, and I remember uh, having these little fake chains that I, they put on my arms and around me. And I remember walking in and I go, oh, and having to come in and, and, and say my lines there. And it wasn't very many lines, but I said my lines. And, and I remember the audience was so captivated by uh, the words that I was saying. And, and uh, you know, it was, it was amazing, I'm pretty sure. And uh, that, was, uh, that was the last time that I was asked, asked to have a role in a play, actually. But uh, I, I'll never forget it. You know, when, when, you're, when you're participating in, in a program like that, when you're doing those things, what are you doing? You're, you're acting out a role. You're, you're pretending to be someone that you are not. You, you could say it this way. You're, you're putting on a different face, so to speak, something that's different from who you actually are. Here, here in verse number 13, there are two words that are used that contain within them similar meanings. The word dissimulation is the Greek word. We'll see if you can figure out what it is, okay? The Greek word is hypocrisy. Spelled a little different, but (laughs) it's where we get our English word. The word dissembled means to act hypocritically together in a group. See, when the rest of the Jews there in Antioch saw Peter start acting a different way, putting on a face that wasn't his, pretending to be something that he wasn't, they saw it, they they saw them going along with this religious group that had teachings that didn't line up with what he said that he was, they too began to follow suit. They dissembled likewise, acted hypocritically with him. Things got so bad that Barnabas himself, the Bible says, was carried away with their hypocrisy. Peter's decision to act one way when he was with one group and act a different way with another group had costly effects. The one who was supposed to be a pillar turned out to be a buoy that bobbed in the waves of whichever group he was around at that moment. He was wearing different faces, and the consequences were detrimental to those who were following 
his example. You know, you would think Peter would have figured this out. Because this isn't the first time that Peter did something like this. You remember it was right after Jesus was crucified and then had resurrected. Peter was so discouraged. Why? Because three times, <laughs> you remember, the night before Christ was crucified. Hey, aren't you one of his followers? Not me. I, I don't even know the guy. <laughs> three times. He denies Christ. Christ rises from the grave. Peter's so discouraged. The Bible tells us over in John chapter number 21 that they were together, Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel of Canaan of Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. Now listen, this wasn't just Peter saying, I'm going to go, you know what guys, I just need a day away to think. I need to get out on the lake. I need to cast the line in the water a few times. I, I need to go spend some time fly fishing on the river just to clear my head. And, you know, that, that's not what was happening here. Remember what Peter was before he started following Christ? He was a fisherman. When he said this, he was literally saying, I am going back to the life that I lived before I ever met Jesus. Man, he was, he was down. He was beaten. He was broken. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I quit. I can't live this life. I can't do this. I'm done. But don't miss this next part. They say unto him, those other disciples, we also go with thee. Ship immediately. The most humbling thing happened. That night... They caught nothing. I mean, I mean, Peter, I mean, like, this was your job. Like, you're a pro. And the nets are empty. You can't catch a thing. I mean, here are all these other guys. Peter says, I quit. And these other guys look at each other and they're like, well, if Peter's not going to stick around, we're not going to either. We, we can't make it. They go with them. They find themselves on this boat and they're like, well, I guess we're just going to make money with Peter. And Peter can't even catch a fish. When Peter decided to stop following Christ, go back to that life before he met Christ, there were a boat full of Jesus' disciples that followed him. His decision had dire effects on others. And now here, years later, turning away from what he knows is truth, and when he did, others followed his lead. Friend, who's watching you? Okay, listen. <laughs> Think about it. I mean, you, you've got kids, grandkids, brothers, sisters, people that you work with that are watching you to see if you are the real deal or not. You say you believe the Bible, but, but do you live by it? Does it really have any bearing on your life? You say you love church. But do your actions demonstrate that? Do you actually like being around God's people? Or are you the first out the door? Everybody, nobody's going to leave now. So everybody's going to stick around today. <laughs> Say that you love Christ. 
But when the pressure gets turned up, do you stay faithful to him? Friend, what, what will it take this morning for you to stop following Christ? Think about that. What's the price tag? What situation, what amount of money, what other person's failure, what would it take to cause you to stop living for God, to stop following Him? I've been around it long enough now to watch preachers that I once, once respected, preachers that once uh, I, I listened to their messages, preachers that I once, uh, to a certain ex- extent, revered. I've watched them fall out of the ministry. And when they've fallen out of the ministry because of decisions that they've made, you know what I've seen? A lot of people fall with them. What would it take for you to stop following God? What is the price tag? Truth is, for some, it doesn't take much. First sign of struggle, you tuck tail and run. The first sign of a global pandemic. (laughs) And church is an optional thing now. In fact, it's an inconvenience. What does it take? Can I challenge us this morning? Listen, there are little eyes watching you. There are co-workers watching you. There are family members watching you. And they're trying to figure out, is it real? Is it real? Because if you don't stick with it, there will be others who are carried away by your dissimulation hypocrisy that you put on the face but when you're in a different place you put on a whole new mask friend can you recognize the impact it will make if you were to walk away from the truth of the gospel and allow that to help to motivate you to keep on going moms and dads kids need you to be real they need to see something that's real in this world I can remember whenever I was a kid, the disappointment that I found whenever I found out that Forrest Gump was not a real person. I mean, like, I don't know why, but I identified with him. I had speech impediments and stuff, and I'm like, man, that guy, me and him, we're like the same guy. <laughs> That's not a great role model. But, uh, you know, I remember whenever I found out he wasn't a real person, I was crushed. <laughs> it wasn't real. Multiply that by exponential numbers when it's somebody that you really know. And you find out the show they put on isn't who they really are. Are you real? Do you stay true to the Word of God? Friend, don't be the reason your kids walk away from God because they knew what you had wasn't real because you weren't willing to stand for it. The Bible tells us in Psalm chapter number 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. What? But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. But listen, friend, the ungodly are not so. They're like the chaff that the wind driveth away. 
Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the, in the judgment or sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly, it'll perish. Ephesians 4 tells us in verse 14 that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to receive. Friend, don't be blown around by uncertain winds of this world, but have something that you hold tightly to. Hold tightly to the truth. Hold tightly to the Word of God. In Galatians chapter number 5, Paul writes in verse number 1, Stand fast, therefore, and the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage in 1 Thessalonians he writes in chapter number 5 verse 21 prove all things hold fast to that which is good in 2 Thessalonians 2.15 he says therefore brethren stand fast hold the traditions which ye have been taught whether by word or our epistle friend you do not know the impact that your decisions will have on others if you choose not to stand. We see the impact on others, but then we see this, the impact on the gospel. The impact on the gospel. We'll spend more time in this verse next week, but verse number 14 says this, But when I saw that they walked not uprightly, according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? What we see here is that Peter's decision ultimately hurt the message of the gospel. How could what he had preached be real when he was so quick to abandon standing for it? That's what Paul was saying. If it's real, Peter, why are you leaving the gospel, the true gospel? That I already talked about previously, that listen, whatever you're doing is not the gospel, it's something else. Peter, there's only one gospel, why are you leaving it? Friend, this morning the gospel is on trial, and your life has been called to the witness stand. The evidence has been presented where you went what you watched, how you spoke, the internet sites that you visited when you thought no one was watching, the bitterness that you have held against the person that wronged you, the anger you are harboring because they hurt the one that you loved. And over on the nightstand or maybe on a bookshelf or maybe just sitting in the seat in your car during the week, there sits your Bible. Dust has collected on its cover. There's a musty smell that unused books collect. If you were to open it, you might find some markings from some time ago in which once you read it and God spoke to you and so you underlined and and maybe wrote a note or two, but nothing recently. It's become little more than a decoration or a nuisance that you have to move every time that you get into your car to drive it. Yes, the gospel is on trial. Your life is on the witness stand and sadly there is very little evidence of anything resembling what a Christian should be. That is the reality in most churches. For six years, Tressa and I traveled in evangelism all around the Northwest and in parts of the Midwest, preaching 
revival meetings. That's what we called them, revival meetings. Everywhere we would go, I would preach during that meeting, and, and it was always on that subject of revival. In some meetings, there was just, you know, maybe three days or something. Sometimes it was five days, sometimes longer, sometimes shorter. But, but there was a consistent theme throughout those meetings. Every, every message had a consistent goal. We wanted Christians to experience revival, a stirring in their heart to get on fire for the things of God. During those years, there was a message that I preached that stemmed from really a thought from a book that I had read. It was a book about Christians having revival. Christians reading their Bibles. Christians that would pray. Christians that would be faithful to church. Christians that would tell others about Jesus. The title of the message, the title of the book... It was return to normal. Because if Christians would do the things they are supposed to do, then we would have revival. Proof of you being a Christian was based on the way you lived your life this last week. Would there be any evidence? Think about that. What in your life from this past week demonstrates that you are a Christian? The Bible tells us that those at Antioch were were called Christians. That was the first time that 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 name was given to someone. Christians, before that, they were known as the ones of the way. That was what they would call them. But in Antioch, they called them Christians. It literally meant little Christs. Christian. That's what we call ourselves. But do we look like Him? Do we act like Him? Do we live like Him? Could it be that the Gospel has lost its effectiveness? Not because it has lost its potency, but because the conduit through which it is supposed to be delivered isn't fulfilling its duty. Matthew 5.13 tells us, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden underfoot of men. A couple of years ago, I was emptying out the ashes from our wood stove into a bucket. And, and you know, it's just one of those tasks that you have to do. And I remember sitting there shoveling it into the bucket. And, and it had burned down pretty much. There was just, just a few coals, but it was, it was pretty much done. And I remember uh, taking, scooping all those out into a bucket, and then I remember taking it outside, and, and we kind of had this, this brush pile that was there, and so I just took that, those, those ashes, and I just kind of threw them onto it and went back inside the house, and, and uh, I was, was in there doing some other things. And I'll never forget, a couple hours later, I'm, I'm in our living room, and all of a sudden I saw this, this reflection uh, this, 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 you know, on, on, on the wall. And I, I walked around the corner and I looked out the window to see this, this bonfire <laughs> that nobody was paying attention to. <laughs> I, I mean, it was, there were stumps, there were all kinds, I mean, it was just massive flames. And I remember saying, Tressa, it's, a, it's on fire, it caught on fire. And I remember I ran outside and I'm thinking, I've got to get this under control. And I ran over and I grabbed our water hose and I hooked it up to the water spigot and, and, I, and I ran over and I turned the water spigot on and I picked up that water hose and, and nothing came out. 
what's going on? I ran back over to the spigot and then I cranked it off, turned it back on again. I could hear the water going in and out, but I ran back over to the water hose and nothing. Looking at this thing, what's going on here? Like, it's this is pretty easy. You know, I should be able to figure this out. I didn't realize it, but there was some water that had been left in the hose and the water had frozen. There was ice in the hose. And no water could get through. And the flames were really big. (laughs) See, the supply was there. The water was there. The need was great. But there was a problem with the conduit. It was icy inside. I remember I ran back over to our garage and I hooked it up to the spigot, the, 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 the faucet inside of our, of our garage and I turned on the hot water. And I remember watching as, as all of a sudden you could see the hose and, and you could hear the water starting to move through as it was melting those ice cubes. And, and then finally the ice started pouring out and the water started. And, and I was like, oh, okay, great. And I remember taking it back over, plugging it back on and going back out there and just, you know, in the nice cold watering our fire, you know, and, uh, you know, making sure that it stopped and it didn't get out too far out of control there. You see, the problem was not with the source. It wasn't with the problem at hand. The problem was that ice had built up, had gotten a little icy on the inside. I think that's probably true of a lot of Christians. It's not that the Source has a problem. Listen, this is just as potent as it always has been. And the problem is not the need. We have a world that's lost and dying and on its way to a lake of fire. The problem is, is the conduit has gotten a little icy on the inside. Before the water of God's Word can flow through it, the ice has to be melted. Christian, have you grown icy on the inside? Is your heart and passion for God what it should be? Is there a burning in your spirit, in yourself, for those who don't know Christ or have the cares of this life and the fear of man stolen away from your boldness for Christ? It could be time this morning to return to normal. To just be a normal Christian. Not a super Christian, just a normal one. To ask God to stir your spirit and give you a boldness to stand for Him. You know, this event in Peter's life was devastating. Many were affected by his fear and his refusal to stand. The gospel was hindered because he gave an unclear message with the way that he was living. But don't miss this. Peter got things right. And God restored his boldness. You say, Kyle, how do you know it's not there? You're right, it it's really isn't. It's not here in Galatians. You don't find it. But you want to know how I know? Because <clears throat> if you were to take your Bible and flip a few pages over towards the end of your Bible, you'd find two books. First Peter and Second Peter. Written by this man. and was cowering in the corner. How do I know? I know because history tells us that Peter one day was taken, and when his life was threatened, he stood for Christ, and so they took him, and he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as my Savior. And they crucified him upside down. 
Because he stood for Christ. See, Peter is a real person just like you and me. He struggled just like you and me. But when he got back on track for God, God stood for him and he used him. And friend, maybe things have gotten a little icy. Needs to be thawed out this morning. But if you'll let God thaw out your heart, God restore that passion, that burning within me. God, don't let the fear of man stop me from standing boldly for you. God, I just want to be normal. <laughs> normal Christian. I think He can take you and maybe just maybe make this next week full of proofs that you have God, the Holy Spirit, living within you. That you really are a little Christ. And I hope this morning you'll let God do that in your heart like he's doing in mine. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for the truths that we've looked at this morning. And I pray, Lord, for maybe someone that's here that's struggling this morning with, with having boldness, struggling this morning with standing, or they're struggling because of the fear of man or situations of life, and they're giving off this uncertain sound in their life of what a Christian ought to be, I pray this morning that they'd get some things right. That the icy heart that's built up would be thawed, and a boldness for you would be evident. And God, I pray that you would turn our church upside down for you, because we have Christians that are on fire for you, willing to stand for you in their daily lives. With heads bowed and with eyes closed this morning, if God's spoken to your heart, we're going to have a time here at the end of the service where you can respond to Him. And I'd encourage you to do just that. If God's spoken to your heart this morning, I'd encourage you right where you're seated just to pray. Ask God to stir you. Ask Him to speak to you. And you say, Kyle, I'm just going to be honest with you. My life hasn't been what it ought to be. There's some things, some actions some fear that's been controlling my life and I haven't been standing for God the way that I should. This morning God spoke to my heart. I see the example of Peter. Man, he was a pillar of the faith, but here he was cowering in a corner when he should have stood. I, I see myself there. This morning God spoke to me. I want to take a stand for Christ. God, thaw out that icy heart and help me, God, to have a passion and a burden for you. I'd encourage you this morning, spend some time talking to the Lord about that, asking Him to help you to do that. We need some moms, we need some dads that will make a decision to lead their families in the ways of God. We need some teenagers, some young people that will say, listen, I'm not just going to go with the flow, just blend in with the crowd. I'm going to stand out for the Lord. I'm going to swim upstream. I'm not just going to blend in with the world. No, 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 I want to stand up for God. Help me, Lord, to do that. Friend, if that's you this morning, why don't you ask the Lord to help you? The silence of this moment, why don't you respond to the God in your heart?